Hi, Avril here from Access Credit Union. We are delighted to once again sponsor the Star Sports Podcast. As part of our range of new business loans, we now offer Cultivate Farm Finance, the farmer-friendly loan package. With a Cultivate loan, farmers in West Cork can benefit from the local decision-making and personal service offered by Access Credit Union. To find out more, go to accesscu.ie forward slash cultivate, call me on 085 268 2727 or 028 21883, where a member of our team will be happy to help you with your inquiry. Close your eyes and pull like down. <laughs> and a new Irish record for Phil Healy, 22.99. Christy Cooney hands over the Sam McGuire Cup to Graham Canty, Cork All-Ireland Champions for the seventh time ever. Hello and welcome to the Star Sport Podcast. My name is Jack McCarran of the Southern Star and I'm joined as always by Star Sport editor Kieran McCarthy. Before we kick things off, I'd just like to give a gentle reminder to our listeners and viewers to please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and YouTube. The Star Sport Podcast is brought to you in association with our friends at Access Credit Union. Access Credit Union, where your bank really does matter. Choose the credit union, choose local, choose community. On this week's show, we'll be joined by Ireland's new national 5,000 metre champion, Glen Gareth's Dara McElhenney. Dara was the star of the show at the 150th National Track and Field Championships in Santry at the weekend as he stormed to victory in a time of 13.53.84. Later on the show, we're chatting to Carberry's divisional football manager, Tim Buckley, ahead of their big West Cork derby against Beira on Thursday evening. But Kieran, before we chat to Dara and Tim, we're going to look back on Cork's defeat against Dublin in the All-Ireland quarter-final last Saturday. John Cleary's side were well beaten in Croke Park on a scoreline of 21 points to 10 to put an end to their involvement in this year's championship. Kieran, there is... No shock, and despite decent periods in the first half when both Brian Hurley and Stephen Sherlock looked dangerous, this was as routine a victory as it gets for the Dubs. Yeah, I think it almost went as most people expected it to. The Cork did, did put up a good fight in fairness for, well, especially the first half, but in, in the second half, it was very similar to the game against Kerry in the Munster semi-final. Just Cork came up short. They just faded out of the game. Dublin took over, and they just cantered to victory. Like, it was... It was very routine, very easy for for Dublin in, in the second half. But that's the reality of where this Cork football team is right now. And John Cleary was saying it afterwards, um, just reading some of his quotes here. He said, scorelines don't lie at the moment where we are as a mid to lower Division 2 team. And that's what the results have shown. And I think that's exactly it. Like We we can't forget that this Cork team just avoided relegation down to Division 3. They finished sixth in Division 2. So that's, that's really where this Cork team is right now. They're a mid-table Division 2 team. But the beauty of this championship run is that they've got four games in. Um, lost to Kerry, then regrouped, beat Loud, beat Limerick, and then lost to Dublin. But it's no surprise the two defeats came against Kerry and Dublin because they'd be two, two top-tier teams, two teams who will meet now in the semi-final the weekend after this, and two teams that are, I suppose, they're, they're obviously in the conversation for the All-Ireland, but Cork are a long way off that. And I think we've, we all know that, and I think um, everyone's seen that now because... We've seen how Cork have fared against Dublin and Kerry and there's a big distance to go. But at least Cork now, they have something to measure it against. You know, kind of, they know they can beat teams around them like the Louds and Limericks. But if they want to get to the to the next level and the level after that, and the level then to reach the the, the Kerrys and the, the Kerrys, the Derrys, you could even say now, and the Dublins and so on. Like there's a there's a long journey ahead. But the journey has started already. That's that's the thing. Kind of the, those blocks have been put in place this year that Cork can build on for next year. And I think it is it is going to be a process. I know people are saying, look, look at what Derry have done and can Cork kind of just copy that. It's, it's just not that easy. If it was, other counties could do it. I think Cork have to just have to be patient in this journey. But it, and I know it's kind of saying it after an 11-point loss to Dublin, but it was a good championship campaign for Cork, considering what could have been. It could have been the Taunton Cup. At least they got into the, the Sam Maguire battle. They did a... Four games, they learn from it, and hopefully the team 
big big winter coming up, big winter of conditioning for fellas to kind of just, just to stay with it. But um, good a good first step, but a hell of a lot of work to do. Uh, you mentioned they had four good championship games, so Loud and Limerick they were expected to win one of those or win both of those. And Kerry and Dublin, to be fair, they were expected to lose both of those games. But how do you think Cork would have fared? in their current form against a team that was maybe closer to them. Like I'm not necessarily saying Cork are as good as Armagh, Galway or Derry, but theoretically they're closer to those three teams than they are to the likes of Dublin and Kerry. How would Cork have done had the draw been differently? Had it been Cork against Galway or Armagh in Croke Park on Sunday? That's very much ifs and buts, but I I would think that I, I couldn't see Cork beating the Galway or Derry or a team like that just yet, or even Armagh. You look at how how those teams have improved. Um, go back to Division Two of the of the Football League. Cork are in with Galway and Derry, and it's no surprise they're the two teams that were top of the table, and it, they're two teams who've got onto the bigger and better teams since then. Cork just aren't at th- those teams' levels yet, and I'm even thinking back to Keith Ricken earlier in the year, and it was just a, a, a saying he said after the McGrath Cup final. When Cork lost to Kerry, he said, good timber takes time to grow. And that's really like he was kind of hinting that this Cork team just needs time because conditioning is a huge thing right now in at intercounty level, whether that's football or hurling. And a lot of these Cork lads, they just need time to, I suppose, bigger, faster, stronger, fitter to kind of to, to live with the with the, the Dublins and the Kerrys and even the Derrys and the Galways because those teams are a lot further along their their processes and their development than, than this Cork team are right now. We got to look at the likes of even Rory Maguire from Castlehaven, who's had a really solid first season at senior intercounty, but he almost came from nowhere to win his place in that Cork halfback line. But if if he give him another year, another year or two, the likes of John Cooper, Era Oak, fellas like that, you know they should theoretically improve and get better and get better. So that's why this year is an important year um, for Cork. But like I said, there's a big winter there because if you look at the last couple of years, the turnover of players that Cork have had, it's just, it's it's hard to wrap your head around it. I was looking at the, before the Dublin game last weekend, when Cork played Dublin in the Super 8s back in 2019, and that's only three years ago, but only three players started last Saturday night that started that game three years ago. I think it was Brian Hurley, Maddie Taylor, and could have been Ian McGuire. Um, I could be corrected on that, but it's a huge turnover. Like in a in a couple of years, okay, the likes of John O'Rourke and and Sherlock and them, they were subs back in 2019. But still, like to to lose so many first team players in such a short space of time, it just shows the rebuilding job that Cork have. But that's why this year they've had their seven league games, they've had four championship games. That's eleven games that they've played. So you'd hope that there's a, a base there to build on next year. But um, Cork need to kind of, I think too, Jack, they need to almost see what's happening for, for 2023. Like um, John Cleary is obviously the standing boss for the last um, last two games in the league in the four championship games because uh, Keith Ricken took in and he just stepped aside. But I think kind of clarity on on what's going to happen for next year. And I know the championship is just over um, for, for Cork, but the championships are starting soon. So... I think so. Even even to, to see, like, hopefully we'll get Keith Ricken back on board, um, or will it be John Cleary staying on? But even decisions like that, you know, kind of, I think the almost the sooner they're made and there's clarity for the players and the management team for next year, and let the management team go out and watch the county championships starting in the July and see if we unearth another four or five players for the for for the panel next year. So, um, yeah, it's kind of I'd be more optimistic now looking into next year into, into Division Two that Cork won't be involved in a in a struggle that they'd be more mid-table and pushing, looking upwards. Um, but still, like, we've seen the gap to Dublin and to Kerry. And this is a Dublin and Kerry team that weren't, they didn't need to go full tilt against Cork. And I think that should be, that should be kind of brought into the equation too, that Dublin were cantering to that second half. So, um, yeah, there's a, a, a long way to go, but at least the ship is pointing forward, which is, which is better than it has been in years gone by. I think um, it should probably be mentioned as well, considering the uncertainty around the management situation. You'd have to say it was a very positive um, performance overall by John Cleary to step in when he did and to deliver what ultimately was a positive season for the Cork footballer. So whatever happens there, I think Cork footballer is going to be in safe hands, whether it be the return of Keith Ricken or if John Cleary is to continue. I think he's um, done himself no harm in that regard. Just on the game itself then Kieran briefly before we move on because we're going to do a full 
season debrief in the coming weeks but three players that we've spoken about a lot on this podcast in the build-up to all the championship games is the Cork full forward line Brian Hurley Stephen Sherlock and Cotlow Matney and we said uh, regularly that we believed this full forward line was good enough to um, do damage against any side in the country and for periods in that first half it looked like they were doing just that they looked every bit to Dublin equal um, just to give the points totals here Colin Matney scored three two from free Stephen Sherlock got three one from a mark one from a free and Brian Hurley scored two brilliant points from play in the second half then as you mentioned the Dublin cantered to victory any insight from yourself as to what happened there did the Dublin machine just get on top of the Cork's danger men did they figure out how to deal with them because it did look at times that not necessarily Cork had the beating of them but those three players had the beating of their Dublin counterparts like O'Mahony, Sherlock and Hurley definitely caused them problems in the first half and like Cork went three points down at half time they were well in that game but it's so similar to that Munster semi-final against Kerry that second half fade out it's just I think it comes down to almost conditioning and experience and so on that just um, it's just not a coincidence that Cork faded at almost the same point in the, the Kerry game and the Dublin game because those teams are just so far in terms of their development, in terms of their physique and their condition, like they're just bigger, fitter, faster, stronger men because they've been in this process for for, for, for so many more years. Like those players, like those Dublin players, like how many Ireland sit there under their belts, like and they're, they're so experienced too. And they just don't know how to win games and they don't know how to win games in second year. They know how to win games playing badly and just Cork just don't have that right now. But just back to the to the three lads in that foot forward line, so, so dangerous. But I was thinking back to what John Hayes the former Cork footballer and selector said in his podcast a couple of weeks ago that he liked to see them link up more and link up better. And I think we saw that through the last day that they're that they need they need to link up better as well. You, you saw it in, in the in the Dublin attack. That there's just it just flows. It just flows because they just link up so so well and the scores come so easy easily to them. But that's again because they've been playing together for I don't know how many years. And this Cork foot forward line it's their, it's their first time first first season kind of trying to gel and it does, doesn't happen overnight. So again, it's something to build on. It's something positive for next year that Cork have three forwards that can hold their own with, with most counties in the in, in the country. Um, so I think that, that that's a positive. And that's why I was saying earlier that this winter is a big one because you'd hope that some of these Cork fellas will come back even fitter, stronger kind of, kind of next year. I'm thinking the likes of... Like Colin O'Callaghan is turning into a fine player, you know, and he's he's a big size of a fella too, and he's he's been there now a, a couple of years, and you can see him kind of having a big role to play in the years ahead, and he's a fella who can hold his own as well. So there's all these kind of positive signs, but we just can't get too carried away either because at the end of the day, we just over Cork are, you know, kind of um, a good bit off the top, um, did well to get to the last state in the All Ireland Senior Football Championship, but that's that's their ceiling right now. You know, and a, a good bit has to change for Cork even to get to a semi final next year and so on. You know, they did very well to get to quarter final this year. That is progress when you look back to where they were five games into the league, no win, still stay on relegation, you know. Um, so they've done well to almost salvage the season, turn it around, and almost finished it on a, on a bit of a positive. Despite the loss, it is a positive finish to the season for, for Cork because I want to go back to another guest we had on a couple of weeks ago, Paddy Kelly, and he said, if Cork are to go in this year's championship, they need to go to a team that's better than, than them. And that's exactly what they did. They beat Loud and they beat Limerick, but they lost to a Dublin team that is better than Cork. So they bought out like that, but there is reasons to, to be to be optimistic, but we won't be getting carried away either. Um, there's there's a lot of work ahead and it, it, is, it is a long road. Yeah, definitely important not to get Two ahead of ourselves because they did also kick seven wasteful wides in that first half as well. So plenty to work on. But as I said, we'll come back and do a full season review maybe next week or the week after. And plenty to look back on as well. But we're going to switch our attention now to athletics and the 150th National Track and Field Championships that took place in Santry at the weekend. And one of our favourite guests on this podcast is Glenn Gareth's. Dara McElhenney and he stormed to victory in the 5,000 metre final. There's a great report from 
the day on the RTE website where he's described as a thoroughbred. So Dara, Sean on the big day again. He loves the big occasion, Kieran. A hundred percent. And he was just he was so calm composed in that in that five thousand meter men's final on Sunday. And anyone listening to this podcast, if they haven't watched it, I think just if you go on there, you'll find it on Twitter, YouTube, just just watch Dara on that last lap because he was in against Ephraim Giddy and Hiki Tenoso, two very two high caliber middle distance runners here in Ireland. But Dara is only 21. Like he's still so young. And we I know we keep saying that in this podcast, but he's he's just 21. He just looked right at home and he picked his right moment to kick for home and he was coming down the straight there and he just never looked in trouble. It was almost effortless by him, but it just shows that he's he's at that level now. He's um he's going to go on to be one of the, the top middle distance runners that Ireland have had in a long, long time. And he could almost be the the best middle distance run Irish runner of, of his generation if he keeps going on in this trajectory. Because just look at what he's achieved in the in the last couple of years. Um he won the senior indoor title at the, the senior championships back in February. Now he's a senior outdoor title. This is his tech, second time winning the, the senior men's 5,000 meter um, gold. He won a two back in 2020. Um, it could have been a hat trick of wins from this year, but last year he hopped down to the 1,500 meters and, and he finished fourth. But I, I, I think he's he's taken to himself. Why didn't they stay at the 5,000 meters and put back to back to back to back to back gold medals together? Because the He's only going to get better, you know. He's only going to get better, um, and he's a uh, he's the European Championships in Munich in August to look forward to as well, and, and it's all gearing up towards that. So he, he's just a class act, and um, but he wasn't the only West Cork athlete, Jack, um, in action as well at the national championships. And before we hear from from Dara, just to give a quick synopsis that Phil Healy relinquished her 400 meter women's title, and she lost to, to Sophie Becker by just off at one four of a second like it was a brilliant finish one of the races of 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 the weekend so that's that's a, a tough one for Phil to take but um she'll bounce back from that I know she's in a heavy block of training right now ahead of the Europeans in in August so there's bigger and better things to come from Phil this season her older sister Joan finished third in the women's 100 meter final and this was a brilliant race um Rashida Adelecki and Molly Scott point art one that's 100 of a second separated them in a in a brilliant finish and joan was joan went with them and she and she um she finished in third to home bronze and i was chatting to her on monday and she was saying that's as good as a goal for her considering what rashida and molly were doing in the indoor season and just to mention too for the likes of shane howard from bandon athletic club he was silver in the, the long jump and Roshi McSweeney bend in athletic club she won a silver medal too so we have a full report in in, in Thursday's Southern Star about uh, the local athletes at the Irish Athletics Championships but we had to chat to Darren McElhinney this week off the back of his his latest gold medal winning triumph and as you'll understand he was in top form Jack Much like his opponents in races I'm having tr- trouble keeping up with Darren McElhinney's achievements in recent times and just on Sunday gone he added the Irish men's 5,000 metre title to his growing list of accolades so welcome back to the podcast Dara and congratulations on your latest success. Yeah thanks very much Karen. Thanks, thanks for having me on again. Let's chat about the race so I was saying like the men's 5,000 metre final at the Irish National Track and Field Championships in Dublin on on Sunday, there was yourself, Hiko Tenoso and Ephraim Giddy, the three big names in Irish middle distance running. You broke away from the chasing pack and it was building up for a very exciting finish. And you made your move inside the last lap and it paid off. You you went for home and you got gold. So I'm obviously presuming you were happy with the way the, way the race planned out. But was that how you envisaged this race planning out from the start? Yeah, I think so. Like, um, I think firstly, like I kind of knew that. Uh, especially Ephraim is kind of more su- uh, suited to front running mm-hmm. um, and I was watching the stream on Saturday the day before and like it was clear that like the conditions were going to be fairly blustery and probably not not really suitable for front running or a kind of fast race or whatever so I suppose then it, that kind of threw the cat amongst pigeons a small but I wasn't sure what was going to happen and then even the first lap we went out and it was pretty slow and nobody went to the front like Ephraim didn't make a move early on so then I was kind of thinking this is just going to be a very slow race the whole way but then I suppose it was probably only about a lap in Ephraim went to the front and then I followed suit and, and he go follow me and I think probably the, the part that kind of played into my hands I guess the most was that I just I ended up feeling very comfortable the whole way and like it was only when I watched it back I noticed that there actually was an increase in pace 
um, towards the last mile or so, whereas I kind of felt in the race that we were keeping the same tempo up really until the last lap. Um, so I think as a result, like I kind of got to the bell feeling very much in control and kind of ready to strike. Um, whereas I think like we had picked it up to a couple of kind of 66 second laps, um, which is like say 1345, 5k base. So like it had picked up, but I think at this stage, I was so focused on trying to just stay where I was and pick the right moment to pounce um, that I kind of wasn't even aware of the fact that it got quicker. Um, so for me then, I was just trying to stay as patient as I could. Um, and I got into the last lap. And as I mentioned, like there was quite a strong wind and it was blowing down the back straight. So I was kind of sitting on the outside shoulder of um, Ephraim. And I almost kind of felt the wind push me along down the back straight. And I just said, that's as good a sign as any now to just have a, have a crack off it. And the way it worked out as well was Hiko was kind of blocked in on my inside. We were kind of had a bit of a triangle um, and Hiko was kind of on the inside uh, directly behind Ephraim. And then I was kind of slightly behind Ephraim, slightly uh, ahead of Hiko on the outside. And I think I, you know, I think, as I mentioned, like Ephraim is, he's a very good front runner, but I think if it came down to a kick, I, I kind of thought Hiko would be the bigger threat. So I think I kind of noticed at that stage as well, like obviously I mentioned that the wind was on my back and I felt good, but also I kind of noticed that Hiko was a small bit boxed in. I said, if I make a move now when I go around Ephraim, Hiko's going to have to come out around and then try and, try and chase me. And I think I just wanted to get a yard on him. Um, so then, yeah, I went to about probably 270, 280 to go and just wanted to kick hard enough that it made a difference to the race, but not kick, but also have enough kind of in the reserve to kick again a couple of times. So I kicked then again, going around the bend where I think I kind of put a few metres into him. Um, and then with 100 metres to go, I was ready for a kind of titanic battle down the home straight because I thought he was going to be right in my shoulder. But I kind of heard his footsteps were a yard or two behind. So I kicked again pretty hard. Um, and that next kind of 20 or 30 metres, I was, I was all out. Um, but then I kind of sensed that I had it once, so I turned around and I had a glance, and then I seen that the gap was kind of growing. So then I was kind of able to enjoy the last, I suppose I was able to enjoy the last 50 or 60 metres, which, you know, isn't always the case in these races. So I kind of just took advantage of that and then kind of stepped off the, the gas then in the last maybe 40 or 50. But, um, do you know, like there's, there'd be other races where you're, you're all out all the way to the line. So I suppose when I kind of turned around and I saw I had it won, and, do you know, it was obviously a big occasion and like there was, the the main the main stand on the on the home straight was full and like I'd obviously a lot of family there and stuff. I kind of just wanted to take the opportunity then to enjoy it a bit more, you know. So then like it was, it was very enjoyable in that sense. I was able then to kind of coast in the last fifty or so. And uh yeah, so no, it was great. We talked before on this podcast there about I suppose the kind of when it comes to the last lap of a race like that and decision making and, and so on. And like you made the right decision on Sunday, you made the right move at the right time and it paid off. But how comfortable are you right now with, with your progression and development when you're in a situation like that, when you're with, with Hiko and, and Efre, the final lap of, uh, of the men's 5,000 meter national championships? You, you just look so comfortable in that company. You just seem like you, need, you know what to do at the right time in a race. Yeah, well, I, th- I think mostly like where my um, where like where my confidence say would have came from coming into that race was that like I've got my fifteen hundred time down quite a lot this year. Um, it's like around a PB of three thirty seven this year, which is quite quite a bit faster than the two lads. Um, they'll probably be less kind of separating us over the longer longer distance, especially ten k. Like the two lads are ten k specialists, really. Like they're both going to the European Championships in Munich in the ten k, whereas I'm going in five k. Um. So I think really because they're more strength-based athletes, the way it works out then is that the longer I'm in the pack with them, like their best chance say, of beating a, an athlete who's kind of, you know, better at the shorter distances is to shake them off early. Mm. So I guess then kind of knowing that I had that leg speed, getting into the last lap feeling as comfortable as I did, that was nearly more important for me than, than the kick, you know what I mean? Because I kind of knew at the bell, I was thinking like this has gone basically as, as well as I could have hoped for. Um, but yeah, like I, I, and as well, I suppose like over five, 5,000, um, like I had the quickest time this year out of the three of us as well. So I probably did go in like uh, the favorite or whatever. And I suppose I had like, thankfully, I kind of had the tools to deal with whatever type of race happened. Like obviously it ended up being a bit of a sit and kick, but like even had it been hard from the gun, like I would have felt fairly, like I'd be pretty confident I would have been able to go with whatever they kind of threw at me. And then it still would have came down to, you know, whoever had it most on the, the last lap. So and I think that kind of takes pressure, like it, in some sense it puts pressure on me, but in another way it kind of takes pressure off because I kind of have the confidence that I don't need to make any mad decisions during this race. All I literally need to do is sit on 
do you know what I mean? And just stay exactly where I am. So then that, that took any kind of decision-making out of it. And then, um, yeah, obviously the only time I really had to then was was with 270 or 280 to go. And um, even at that, then that's basically a case of just running as hard as you can for 40 seconds. It's not, you know, there wasn't too much to it in that sense. Um, but yeah, obviously the way it worked out was brilliant. Talked about your celebration crossing the line. Like you said, you knew that you had you'd room to spare, but you seemed there was a celebration there. Did, did, did it mean something? <laughs> Not, not, not that much. Like I, it's funny. Like it probably sounds like I'm making this up. I've literally never planned a celebration in my in my life. But sometimes it's just I don't know. I guess it's just the emotion that kind of takes over a small bit. But I guess like yeah, it was probably kind of more the fact that I was in control. Like and I don't know, maybe I don't know. Like I kind of as soon as I did it after, I was kind of thinking even to myself. I was like, why, why did I even do that? Like what did it mean? But I guess like I put it this way, I wouldn't have done that celebration if it had been a race where I was raced all the way to the line and I'd, I had completely spent myself I think I did I enjoyed the fact that it wasn't like a, a massive kind of battle in the end you know what I mean like I suppose yeah like, <laughs> probably like flex that little bit on everybody else even though as I say as soon as I kind of crossed the line and the race was over I was kind of like geez why did I do that but I don't know I guess the emotion kind of takes over but no wonder it did like it's such an impressive performance and it's the second time in three years so you've won the men's 5,000 metre title at the national championships the first was two years ago that was your your first year up as a senior athlete so to win this title again what what, what how important is that to you what does it mean to you well yeah it means a lot and I think on the uh, I suppose yeah on the grand scheme of things then as well like looking at it from winning it two years ago as much more of an underdog and a much like a very very hard race that day like that was we won it. I won it in basically the exact same time two years ago. It was like thirteen fifty three or so. But like that day, I was on edge the whole way. Like just about kind of hanging on, and then I kicked with two hundred meters to go, and just about held off Travers. Whereas this time, it it obviously was a lot different. Like I was way more comfortable in the early stages of the race, and had a lot more gears to kind of tap into in the last lap if I had to, or whatever. So I guess it's kind of more a sense of like coming over, and obviously winning the title itself is the most important thing. But then it's also kind of more, I guess it kind of portrays like I suppose my development over the last couple of years um, that I've obviously got that much stronger and and that much fitter in the space of two years which is obviously what you strive for um, and I think I think as well like it's great obviously it's two and three years and like I'd hope like it's really in my now to just you know come back basically every year and try and, and, try and defend it like I did 1500 last year um, and I, like I came fourth but I think kind of looking back now like it would have been nice to have done 5k and if I could maybe put a few of them in a row together or something like that but um yeah no like I mean it's it's more I suppose to me that you know it's proof that things are working and um as I say I've probably transitioned from going into that race as an underdog and probably a surprise package when I won it whereas I think this year I probably was the, the favorite going into it so I suppose I was happy as well to be able to kind of fulfill that that role you know must be happy with, with your times and your performances going into a pretty busy summer and you mentioned earlier the European Championships they're on in Munich in mid-August and are they the main goal and main target right now? Is everything gearing up towards the Europeans? Yeah, for sure. Like I think because um, they're on quite a bit later this year and um, most of the time, like kind of my previous underage championships would be mid-July. So the way I would have attacked it really was just starting my season in May and kind of just taking in races the whole way, the whole way forward, you know, like kind of racing and then training for two weeks, race again, um, and so on but I think because it was that that bit extra like my race in Munich is on the 15th of August um, what we decided to do this year was have a big kind of racing block at the start of the year which will come to a conclusion next Tuesday night in Cork um, and then kind of take a step back and just go purely at training for three or four weeks um, so I'm actually going to fly from the, the morning after the race um, I have uh, a, a wedding in Spain and then I'm, I'm there for two days and then going straight from there to an altitude camp just to kind of take a step back and just put in three solid weeks of high volume, high intensity training to then get ready for the Europeans in August. Um, but I think like it's actually been quite a nice build up because I've been able to just take in races as they've came the last couple of weeks without having the pressure of just one championships. Whereas then I think once I have this couple of weeks training done, um, I'll probably drop down from 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 altitude at the end of July and then I'll have you know two two uh, two or two and a half weeks to get ready for the Europeans and that's then obviously the main goal um, but I think for me like on a, that it, that kind of awkward age now where I'm 
like I'm still under, under 23, but there is no under 23 championships this summer. So my scene, like a senior championships is the only one for me. And I think like, obviously I got my first senior championships um, indoors uh, back in March, like, and it was a fairly rude awakening, like, you know, and kind of portrayed fairly clearly to me, like how much work I still have to do in order to be competitive with all that, those lads. So I guess like as much as anything, I would hope going out there that I've bridged that gap some bit anyway. Um, and I suppose more so it's a case of getting a, a senior championship under my belt again and hopefully coming back when I'm, you know, the, the next year and the year after and the year after that, that I'm going to be getting closer and closer to the top every year and then hopefully then be able to win medals at it when I'm in my probably prime ages of, you know, 25, 26, whatever. But like the way it's shaping up, I still think I can be pretty competitive in that race. Like I think, I think this year I have like the, I think it's the eighth or the ninth uh, quickest 5K of, of any European um, so I, like I'm not you know I'm not a way down the, the list by any means but at the same time it's uh, you know you're talking about all basically all the best guys in Europe you're Mark Scott's you're Jakob Ingebrigtsen's etc so um, yeah I suppose it's just a case of getting as close to them as I can um, hopefully putting out a good performance and then as I say kind of using it as, as a stepping stone for, for future championships and just kind of taking the learnings on board and stuff like that mentioned the Cork City Sports there. That's next Tuesday, July 5th, and that's in Cork, so home crowd. I think you entered in the men's 3,000 metres. Uh, what's the what's the target going there? Like, And how much are you looking forward to actually racing in front of a home Cork crowd? And I presume a, a good few from West Cork are going to make the short trip up as well. Yeah, no, 100%. I'm, 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 I'm buzzing for it now. Like, it's it's, it's kind of nice to like, have I've had this kind of little racing block in the calendar since the start of the year, so I obviously had Nationals on Sunday and then the Morton Games um are on in in Dublin on Saturday night I'm racing the mile at that and then the Cork City Sports on on the Tuesday night so I've kind of been looking forward to running those races in front of the home crowd now for a while um because it's a strange feeling when you try out like a really good performance um on foreign soil and it means the world to you but like you're not there's nobody really there to enjoy it with like like last week um when I was in Copenhagen and like around a big PB over 1500 and it was massive for me but like nobody cared like you know what I mean um Whereas I suppose obviously you'd hope then like like obviously yesterday was a pretty special day and you'd hope then that um at the city sports and Morton they can do something similar but like the plan for the city sports anyway is I suppose primarily to win it um but like you know it's it's a top class international field so it won't be it won't be easy by any means um, and I guess like the kind of secondary goal then as well is um like to get as close as I can to the stadium record um which was set by Craig Mottram. I'm not sure what year it was. Some one of the uh, <clears throat> some stage in the 2000s, um, but it's like it, it'd be it'd be a big ask, like you know, there's no sugarcoating it. Like he he ran 7:38 um, for 3,000 meters there, and like my current PB is 7:45 from the indoor season. So like it would take a massive run, but at the same time, I think I think like I'm in shape, and because it's like it's not, it, it, I don't really have anything to lose in the race. Like I'd rather just go out and give the go and see what happens. Um, now obviously that's conditions permitting like if it's blowing a gale like it has been basically all summer I don't know how um, how conducive that's going to be to a quick time but either way anyway like I'm really looking forward to it like you know go there and obviously hope to give like the home Cork fans like something to cheer about um, and I think like it, I think it'd be a great night of athletics as well because like you've got even Louise Shanahan in the uh, 800 meter like obviously she just won she's from Cork as well and she just won the uh, the women's 800 at the Nationals and I, I think Phil Healy's competing as well so like I suppose like the kind of current you know not to toot my own horn but the, the current kind of Cork stars of athletics or whatever are all going to be racing and stuff so it's, it'd be a great opportunity and like I'd love to go out there and have a have a good performance Um, so yeah that's on that's on next Tuesday night the 5th of July so yeah hopefully there'll be a big crowd there now a final question for Darren you've been so kind with your time as always you mentioned Phil Healy there obviously she was in the Nationals just weekend uh, relinquished her 400 metre crown cracking race at Sophie Becker we saw the women's 100 metre final uh, Rashida and Molly Scott what an incredible race 100 of a second but when you're there competing and focusing on your event can you can you watch what's going on in the other races like have you any favourite memory outside of your own from the weekend just gone the Nationals are you just so tuned in and honed in on your own stuff that you can't that you can't watch what else is happening yeah, most of the time it's hard. Now I was lucky this this year to a degree that um, kind of they tried to put the, all the main well a selection of the main kind of finals on Sunday night, mm. and mine happened to be the first of them. So when I was finished, then I was able to take in those races that you mentioned. Um, but at the same time, it's it's not easy either because like uh, my girlfriend Danielle was competing in five thousand 
but that was on Saturday. So like I, I didn't even go, I kind of couldn't even go up and watch it. Cause like, you know, I most of the time day before race, I kind of just put the feet up and like stay in bed basically all day. So I kind of couldn't go up and watch that, which is annoying. Cause obviously like, you know, sometimes you'd love to just be a spectator for a few days and actually take them in. But um, no, like I, I, I was able to watch those, those races, like, like Phil's race was class. Um, I was, I was, I was racing, she didn't win it in the end. I was, I was in the middle of a group of fans in a row shouting for Sophie. I think they must be in her family or something. And I was fairly making my feelings known, but um, she was so close. But I think it just shows as well, like Phil's, Phil's been so dominant for the last couple of years. And But it just shows that like you can never be, I guess, too comfortable either. You know, there's always somebody coming for your your spot. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm sure like Phil is probably similar to myself, Is has been focusing on Munich. And as I say, because it is such a late race, it's it's a hard way to attack it. And like, you know, at the end of the day, ultimately you want to run your best performance at these major championships. And like, I've no doubt that that she'll bring her A game to Munich. So yeah, hopefully like, I mean, the two of us should be over there and there'll probably be a few other Cork athletes over there as well. Like, so it's, it's good. Is onwards and upwards. Like the season is it's getting busier and busier. But again, so kind of your time, Dara. Thanks so much. Congrats again on your latest success and best of luck in the weeks and months ahead. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, Karen, for having me on. Delighted to be joined by Avril Condell of Access Credit Union, who's here to tell us a little bit about Cultivate Farm Finance. So, Avril, maybe just give us a brief introduction to what Cultivate Farm Finance actually is. So, Cultivate is a collaboration of 40 credit unions uh, throughout Ireland. Um, West Cork has both Access Credit Union and Bantry Credit Union. Uh, the loan itself is up to 75,000 unsecured. Uh, for seven years is the max term, but obviously can be uh, personalised and customised to each individual's needs. Um, it's a great facility actually for, for farmers um, because it covers cash flow, um, machinery purchases, like there's a fertiliser crisis now as we know. Um, so literally anything that is required for the farm can be covered by this loan. The, the rate is very competitive and uh, we can match the, the repayment term and the um, repayment frequency to each individual farmer depending on their enterprise um, and you also have the benefit of the life cover that comes with the credit union loan which I think is very important for people these days at no extra cost. And if I'm a farmer and I'm listening to you on this podcast today how can I get involved? So if you're not sure of which credit union um, you're involved with you can go to Cultivate Credit Union directly which is www.cultivate-cu.ie or you can phone 1800-839-999. And if Access is your credit union, you can contact me directly. So it's avril at accesscu.ie, or you can ring me on 085-268-2727. Divisional football gets a bad rap at times, but when games like Thursday evenings are served up, there is nothing better. It's a big West Cork derby between the two big West Cork divisions. It's Carberry against Beira. And Kieran, you've been talking to Carberry manager Tim Buckley ahead of this cracking encounter. Oh yeah, Jack. This is like whatever happens on Thursday night, the Southern Star is the big winner here because it's Carberry and Beira, two West Cork teams. So we're guaranteed a, a West Cork team through to the final of this kind of this division of this division kind of unseeded section. So brilliant game. What a brilliant game. Bantry, half seven, Thursday night, Carberry against Bear. It's winner take all. It's it's proper championship. The winner advances, the loser goes home. Um, so there's a, there's a lot on the line. And it's just it's just almost a novelty now to see Carberry and Bear go go head to head. And it's just a great game for, for I suppose, for, for West Cork football, but especially for the two divisions because they've had it tough over the last couple of years. Um, Bear didn't, didn't feel the team the last two championships, but they're they're back in this year under their new manager Andrew Fitzgerald, and they beat Moscow there under Manway a couple of weeks back. Huge win for for Beira. Um, before that, then it was Carberry beat Immaculate, their first championship win in five years. So both teams have won games to get here, and I think that's that's important for both Carberry and Beira. Like it, it's that's progress. They've won championship games this year, so they're. They're both looking forward to this game. They're really looking forward to this game. Um, caught up with Tim Buckley, who's a Carberry senior football manager. He's there five years now. In fairness to Tim, he's he's given great service to, to Carberry and he keeps coming back year after year after year. And he's just trying to keep this Carberry football show on the road. And I remember talking to him after after last year, and he was he was he was saying that Carberry football is at a crossroads because 
you have players committing, but then you have other players who won't commit. And it's just a tough slog at times. But that's why for both Carberry and for Beira to win games, kind of players want to win games. So I think it will just help them in future to attract players that um, whoever wins on Thursday night, they'll have won two championship games this year. So whatever happens after that, it's a great base again to start, start from for next year. So it just gets to, gets a show on the road and, and, and gets the train moving to borrow one of Tim Buckley's analogies. So um, huge game. So like you hear from Tim now, he, he's, he's looking forward to it. The Carby have prepared quite well. Um, so too have Bearer. I've been talking to Andrew Fitzgerald. So big game, big game, 7.30pm Thursday night and Tim Buckley is looking forward to it. It's the Battle of West Cork this Thursday night in Bantry as Carberry and Bearer meet in the Premier Senior Football Championship Division Colleges section. It's a winner-take-all encounter. And Tim, these are the games that, that players and managers look forward to. These are the games that you want to be part of. A big game like this, a big talking point in West Cork this week, it's Carberry against Bearer. So how much are you looking forward to Thursday night? Absolutely. Um, we've been looking forward to this part of the season with... Uh, certainly most of the spring and I like in the fact that it's bare coming down the tracks here now makes it a little bit more um, uh, I suppose something more to look forward to you know because it's as you say it's the local two local teams Bear versus Carberry this tradition goes back nearly 100 years at this stage and the fact that we're very near neighbours we know each other so well um, you know we have great friends in Bear Bear have great connections here in West Cork and um, as much as you'd like to beat your enemies you would hate to lose to your friends. Like, so, um, yeah, that'll bring all that baggage with it. Like, and we're really looking forward to the occasion and to the match itself in Thursday night. The fact, though, that we're at the winner-take-all the winner take all stage of this of, of this section, that probably adds an extra bite to the game. Yeah, there are those, including myself, that believe that championship, championship should be knockout and the way heat of battle can't be replaced by any backdoor system or, or group stages. But, um, look, every, everything serves to a means. Like, and... Um, Certainly, now that we're here at the knockout stage, it is winner-take-all. Whoever loses goes home, whoever wins goes on, you know. And um, that led to the, to the attraction of the tie, number one, and number one, or number two, to the, um, to the occasion itself and to the build-up to the game for, for both teams and both divisions. Before we chat about the, the Bear game a little bit more, I have to go back to Carby's first game. That was a win against Immokili a couple of weeks back, 218 to 110, a, a big result for Carberry. A first first round win in five years, Tim. So was relief the overriding emotion at the end of that game? Well, it, it was like, but I suppose it's important that I say at this stage, like that, you know, a lot of people made a big thing about the, the five years, like, but like this was the first year we came in, like, uh, we came in four weeks before the UCC game, and we just pretty much put out a team to represent the division. That's pretty much the ins and outs of it. And we were very lucky to be beaten by a pint. And then, like, you could, you could cast a hard luck story then over the next three years as well like but mm-hmm. like that probably sums up divisions then like as you you throw your hat in the ring and you you hope that you land with 25 fit players and like there's no divisional manager in the county will deny that like and you know you could you could lay down the best of preparations um you could spend months and months preparing but it's what you end up with on the week of championship that ultimately decide your fate but certainly yeah like give me a kiddie game again no matter what I say, no matter how much preparation you have there's no divisional manager in the country, let me say that that can be sure of themselves because you're always going into the game wondering, you know, will you perform and uh, will the team gel? You know, there are all the questions that divisional teams and the challenges division teams face more so than clubs, whereas a club is together for four or five or six months. All of those questions have been answered through a league format, but the division doesn't have that comfort. But in that brings its own sense of challenges as well. Like, and everybody has their challenges, and sure, that's why you're in the game, really. You know? Just looking at that in the game, and I, I've always said in this podcast, I'm a big fan of divisional teams and and, and the purpose that they serve. And I, I'm just looking through the, the match report again here. And the beauty of it is Sean Daly, Randall Ogue, got seven points. Pedro Driscoll came off the bench. He he kicked 1-1 and Pedro Driscoll is Gabriel Rangers. Like you're getting players from, let's say, the, the, the clubs down the tier playing at senior level. And that's so important too, to see the Sean Daly's and the Pedro Driscoll's and the Jorah Callahan's kind of flourish at the senior stage. Yeah, I suppose it's it's all about uh, what you believe. Like, and, you know, I have a great, I have a great team around me. Like, um, the five or six selectors there, like in the management team, you know, they, they believe in going going to matches. You know, they don't believe in making up your mind at the start of the season according to the grading that the fellow plays uh, with his club. And we, we look at fellas and we look at 
what they can do or possibly do for the Carberry Senior Football Team. And the joy for us then is identifying these fellas when they're playing with their clubs, bring them into our setup and seeing them flourish. Like, and certainly the fellas there, Paddy and Sean, they're amongst others, like you've like Shane Keevers on the bench, you know, said Tarrant and Kevin Coakley. You know, let's. Like we, we saw something in them and like, you know, we're the first to admit that we're not always right, but we're, we're, we're very happy to take a chance on them and bring them in. And, um, you know, it, it worked out very well there for Shawnee there in the McKinney game. Like he played very well. Like, and he's a great old trier. Like brave. He's a very brave forward. And, uh, um, you know, the plaudits he received that in the McKinney game were well, well deserved. And, um, you know, not only Sean, like there was Petty there, was a great him for the key Driscoll. Sean Ryan there in the middle of the field, like Sean was a Kirk Minor. In 2016, like, and uh, in my opinion, he's one of the strongest midfielders in the county. Like, so that's exactly what the divisions are for these guys, you know, where they don't have a shot. Though, um, um, and I was seeing some of the sports we were chatting to Carberry captain Colin Driscoll after the Imokili game, and he said, The more exposure we can get at senior level, the better for us. And is that so important for divisional teams, Tim, to get those games because you're bringing players from all these different clubs together and you want them to get them playing as a team, but that's not going to just magically happen in the first game. Like, the more games that Carby play together and these players play together, the better that they'll get. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. I, could, I couldn't um, support those words of columns like more, you know. Like, one of the things that we see, if you're going to games week in, week out, day in, day out, like, um, we have a very strong underage coaching uh, sector with, with Rebel Oak throughout the county of Cork. Like, and uh, it, it, it concentrates usually on the basic skill, like the inside hand tackle, the passing with both legs, passing with both hands. But I find that as those young fellas come out from 17, 18 years of age, up, they're kind of, unless they're making it at the county scene, they're kind of cast to one side, so to speak, and it's left to their club then to continue that coaching. And very often I would go to see a young fella at 24, 25 years of age that would have been part of a county development squad. And he's gone back to his old habits again because um, because the standard he's playing allows him to do that. And very often a fella that was able to pass with both feet at the age of 17. By the time he hits 23, 24, he, he, um, he's lost all those basic skills again because he's gone into his own comfort zone. So bringing fellas into a senior football setup where you're playing senior clubs, you're not allowed those comforts. And it, it, it won't happen overnight. It, the first game, you won't be playing at the top of your level, we'll say. So by playing two and three and four games, the penny drops for these guys that, you know, I'm not going to get away with stuff here that I would maybe at junior level and I'd have to start improving on my basic skills just to survive. And what, what Colin, the point that Colin was making is that every time you put on your football boots with the Carberry Senior Football Team, you're going out to improve yourself. And like, aside from winning championship matches, the development of the player is, is really what I see um, in the player coming in from, we'll say, a junior club or even an intermediate club up to the senior level. Taking that on so into the Bearer game on Thursday night, what are the areas of improvement that you'd like to see from Carberry when you think back to the first game against Sydney Um Well, certainly, look, again, as I said well ago, like no senior manager at divisional level is sure of their hand until you actually see it unfold in front of you. Mm-hmm. So, like, all we'll do is we'll concentrate on ourselves. We'll, um, we'll look back at the Emo Killy game and the games that we played previously. We'll work on the basic stuff, you know, it's... it's it's not something that you can you can get too technical about with the amount of time that we've got with the lads. But if we can get the basics right, um, you know, everybody says to me, look, we've got the talent in Miss Cork. Of course we do. Like every divisional team will have talented footballers. That's a given. But we just work on the basics. And if we can eradicate the basic mistakes, then you'll go an awful long, long ways to competing at, at this section of the championship. We're a few weeks into this new format, Tim, this new um, division colleges format where the we're an unseated section for a lot of the divisions are taking place. And then the winner will go forward to take on the Duhallows, CIT and UCC in the next stage. So considering this is the first year of this, um, we're probably learning on the go. So how are you finding it so far, having these Thursday nights put aside for the divisional games? And is there any tweaks that you can see that need to be made going forward? Are you pretty happy with your lot so far? We are. We're all learning, and like credit must be given to the the, the CCC, the county board, who've sat down and worked this out. Like, and I think they've landed. My opinion is that they've landed at the right time of the year, mm-hmm. which is one. Um, I don't really think that playing it before the junior leagues or the county league start is right because certainly you don't have the players conditioned enough to play uh, senior football games, and you need to have them fit, which is is the first thing. So they they will be 
at a level, a certain level by June. So I think June is the right time of the year. So if I identify the correct time, the format probably doesn't suit everybody because you have you have club league games, and that's that's where the clash comes. Like, and it's it's no one's fault really because obviously look the club want to complete complete their league program and prepare for championship. And the Cabri or the division team then wants their elite players to come in and to give their time to Cabri. But I suppose it's probably it's it's the it's built as you fly sort of thing. And I think we're on the right road. We're not certainly not perfect for talking to the other divisional managers. Um, you know, they certainly struggle to get the group together. But um certainly I think the key point here this year was grouping the five divisions um together because we're all we're all facing the same challenges. Uh, we'd say the likes of UCC and CIT have different challenges and they'll come later on to whoever comes out of this group. But the key this year is that we have five right? and there's eight in total. So like if the other three divisions could see that, look, Jesus, they're not those lads. It'd be too bad. It'd be too bad last year. And if you had more, I think that's the key is to have more and then you'd have a kind of a, you could maybe have two groups and certainly you're on the right road in like, But look, it's never, ever going to be perfect. And even if you go into a senior club, it's never going to be perfect to them either. But it's as good as it's going to get at the moment. And we're thoroughly enjoying it. Um, certainly is a challenge day to day, working with fellas, making sure that their workload, certainly this time of year, isn't too much because injuries is a huge thing now for everybody at the moment, regardless of divisions and certainly in the divisions cases. Was a continuing um, challenge for divisional teams, and it's every divisional team in the county is access to, to players from clubs. How have you found it this year, the, the clubs in Carberry, and getting access to the players that, that you want to bring on board? Um, it, it, it's a mixed bag. Look, every time you deal with a group of 30 or 35 players, you're going to have different individual personalities. Some guys are brilliant at uh, organising their schedule, prioritising certain games, and then some guys need a little bit of help. So, like, we found it um, a good experience this year. You know, dealing with the clubs, corresponding with the managers, working out schedules for the lads. Like, but in in the main, like when you have a guy that's played probably at underage level, with Cork has represented Cork at senior or under twenty level, he's already bought into the whole managing the diary thing, and it's mm-hmm. it comes fairly naturally to him. But as I say, not everybody has that um, ability in their toolbox. But we, you know, we'd like to think that we'd be able to help them along. Like and you know, pull back from the Calgary point of view when it's needed and maybe encourage the club like to kind of, you know, pick the, pick the battles that the player plays because fellas can't be out every night. And uh, absolutely, like this time of year, injury prevention like is top of everybody's list because fellas workload, especially lads that would be dual players and playing with divisions or representative sides, um, they find that the diary is very full. Like. So um, in, in the whole, I find it a very pleasant experience um, all of the clubs in Westcock, to be fair to them, are buying in behind the Project Carberry, as we call it. And, um, you know, I suppose from that point of view, we can't complain. This is your fifth year as Carberry senior football manager, Tim, and you're obviously a real passion for, for the Carberry division and, and this team because, and I know we touched on it earlier, it's, it's so important for, for players of, like, of junior clubs and so on just to get that chance and that shop window to play at senior level and, and test themselves against the best players in the county. So, I know we've spoken about this before for the for the Star Paper itself, but like it's so important that there is a future for divisional teams and that opportunity for players is there. Yeah, like I, I think that it's like the way the format that it is, like there'll be one divisional team come out into the quarterfinal of the senior football championship. And that's one more good quality senior football team in, in the last um the last eight of the, the senior football. So like that's the ends to the means. So the project is well worth doing. If you can improve the standard of cock football by bringing one more good senior football team, and by that I mean that this process will bring somebody out that's played five quality senior games, and there'll be a good team there and a good challenge for any club team in, in the county. So, apart from the project being critical to allowing a junior or intermediate player to play senior football, it's also critical to the quality, I suppose, really, I, I would say, of the senior football championship in Cork that we're providing another player. And um, for me, uh, the traction there, often I'd say, I put the gear on the car and go, geez, what are we doing here? Like, where are we going? But then, you know, it clicks the match, you know, stuff happens in match and you go, this is why I do it. Like, and you look around your management teams as well, like, and they're willing to travel to the four corners of the division, sometimes further, 
you know, without any complaint. And, and that would, you know, that would keep it very, very, I feel very humble in terms of a commitment to the division. And I am very passionate about Cabri. I think Cabri has a great tradition, uh, as do all the divisions around um, around the county. And they have a huge part to play in senior football here in Cork. If you use the analogy that um, Carberry, as, as a train team, and left the station with a win against Immokilly the first day, so starting to pick up a bit of speed, is, is the hope to keep that speed momentum going against Bear on Thursday night? Well, it, yeah, there, of, of course. With, but again, go back to what I said earlier, no manager knows his hand until it's, it's played. And like, likewise, we don't know, you know what the opposition will bring to the table. We can only deal with what is put in front of us on the night. We'll get our home, we'll get our own house in order, and we'll be ready for Thursday night. But certainly the Immokilly game, was, was very important. We remarked on that earlier on in the conversation. That was very important from our point of view. And like the body language now, like both throughout the division, the grounds full of support, people talking about Carberry, that hasn't happened for a long time. And I'm sure the same as in Beira, they beat Mosquito and the men were there a couple of weeks ago. And like the two divisions now have the, the public um, interested in their, in their project. And uh, that's going to create great interest in the tie. And that's the way it should be. So, um, yeah, we're, we're absolutely looking forward to Thursday night and we hope that we perform to the best of our abilities. I think everyone's looking forward to Thursday night. In Bentry, half seven, throwing Carberry against Beira and West Cork will be the winner no matter what the result is. So, thanks, Tim, for joining us. The best of luck on Thursday night. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for listening to the Star Sport Podcast, number one for sport in West Cork. Okay, Kieran, before we wrap up, we're going to quickly preview this Thursday's southern star sports section so what can readers expect i presume there is fallout from the cork footballers lost to dublin at croke park yeah you can check out Holly sullivan's column on that the inside track page two as usual so he's giving his thoughts um on cork's performance against dublin so that's well worth the read there's a lot, a lot of ga going on as well uh, i'm going to actually skip some of the intercounty stuff and go straight to the local stuff because i know our, our podcast listeners like that as well the, the Cork Junior B football quarterfinals were on the weekend just gone. And so now we're Plunkett's big clown again. We have a full report from that match with pitchers. We have a report to why Kilmeen lost to Father O'Neill's. But Garnish and Diamond Mahoon is both won their quarterfinals and they'll both meet in the County Junior B semi final the weekend after next. So check out Thursday Star for all the fallout from the County Junior B Football Championship semi finals. Also, it was the final round of the County Football Leagues last weekend. Castlehaven just missed out on the place in the, in the Division 1 semi finals, as did Carberry Rangers. But Donnie's are true to the Division 2 semi finals. So we have, a, we have a roundup on that. Looking further down, we've a, a lovely piece in the face is done with Artfield Ratbury Tennis Club. I know Wimbledon has started this week, but forget about Wimbledon for a second. Artfield Ratbury is where it's at when it comes to tennis in West Cork. So she's caught up with the, the members there to tell us more about that club. We also have a full page on Bunratty United. They beat Trina Rangers in the in the, the Parkway Hotel Maybury Coaches Cup final the weekend just gone. And that's that Jack is the treble for Bunratty United. I know we've talked about the likes of the Manway and Dreen and Clannacilty on the podcast over the last couple of weeks and months. Bunrat United have won a treble. They won the Championship League. They won the Championship Cup. And now they've added another cup to their cabinet. So they'll be up in the Premier Division um, next year. And we've had a full page on them. Jeremy McCarthy's caught up to have a, have a chat to see how this club is regrouped and how this season unfolded the way it did. So that's well worth checking out. Um, also, Key Cronin is in... He's in local action this this weekend. Um, he's kind of he's he's using the Moonraker Rally in Valdivorni as a warm up for his next British Rally Championship event, which is the week after this. So we've caught up with Keith um, to talk about that. We also have a report on the Fasta Triathlon from a couple of weeks ago. It's just a full page of pictures. So if you took part in the Fasta Triathlon, there's a good chance. And if you're local from West Cork, I might add, there's a chance that you might be on Thursday Southern Star. So you'll have to pick up a copy just to find out. We obviously have the Carberry Bearer build-up. The Cork ladies are through the All-Ireland quarterfinals. Did a good win last weekend against Waterford. Cork are back out this weekend against Tip. So there's a lot going on um, as, as usual. So it's well worth picking up Thursday Southern Star. You just won't be disappointed. Yeah, absolutely. And as always, if you can't make it to the shop on Thursday or if you're living abroad, or you're on your holidays, you can always subscribe online. Just go to www.southernstar.ie forward slash ePaper and read 
West Cork's favourite newspaper on your computer, tablet or smartphone for less than €2 per week. Thanks for listening to this week's Star Sport Podcast. We'll be back at the same time next week. If you enjoy these shows, please make sure to rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Slán